Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm Jack King. On the show this week, writer-director Mike Mills teams up with Joaquin Phoenix for the poignant family drama Come On, Come On. We also have an interview with Mike Mills himself. Then Paolo Sorrentino returns with the striking Maradona-referencing semi-autobiographical coming-of-ager The Hand of God. And in Film Club, Jimmy Stewart's got mail in the classic Christmas romantic comedy, The Shop Around the Corner. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back listeners and Hannah. Always a pleasure to podcast with you. How are things going for you? It's getting towards the end of the year. We're looking back at the year of film. Have you had to yeah, do your I've, end of I've, year um, list yet? Put it together, much like uh, Santa Claus. I've I've checked it twice. Uh, no, I'm, I we're in the middle of all our end of year content, so it's very uh, hectic. A lot of deadlines looming, and then a lot of obviously social engagements to fit in around that, and then obviously still like films coming thick and fast. We're still waiting on Nightmare <laughs> Alley and um, Don't Look Up and The Matrix, like the big one, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah, there's still some big We've hitters. We've got some big films so coming in the next couple of weeks. Exciting times. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who doesn't really get in the festive spirit to like the week before Christmas. So I, for me, I'm still in work mode. But yeah, mm-hmm. you know, busy, busy month. Well, we're, we're, getting, we're getting into the festive spirit on the podcast where Film Club for the next couple of episodes will be Christmas themed and we have the shop around the corner this week. But before we get to that, Hannah, do you have Ooh. any Christmas favourites um, in your world? Not strictly. Well, I guess it is set at Christmas. I, I am a big fan of Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. <laughs> Little left field one. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I think as a, as a teenager, I always used to watch it on Christmas <laughs> Eve so I made myself fall asleep because it's like four hours long. Um, but it's, it's just a good movie, you know? I, I think that Branagh gets a bad rap sometimes as a director, but his Hamlet's really great. would highly recommend if people haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. It, it is incredible, and it's very much got that bank holiday in between Christmas, New Year kind of vibe where you just waste a whole day um, watching that film. I've never seen it on the big screen. I'd love to see it on the big screen because that's one where Branner was really, he really wanted to do a David Lean style 70 millimeter epic he, version of Hamlet. I think he achieved Shakespeare that. scholars among us <laughs> know that there are like, and yeah, Shakespeare scholars among us so know there are versions. multiple versions like of Hamlet. Hamlet and Macbeth, um, the only two <laughs> Shakespeare. Well, 
plays that anyone cares about adapting. But even on the page, there's the folio version, the quarter maximalist version of Hamlet. I'm going to put both together. It's going to be four hours long. And, you know, yeah, that's, a, that's a good pick, Hannah. That's, um, I guess I'll clear out an afternoon <laughs> or, or a long evening. Can you imagine if I chose, like, we've been within a little peek behind the curtain for listeners. We've been choosing the film clubs, kind of. I, I think I recommended next week's, um, even though I haven't seen it. I was just kind of like, oh, this would be a fun one. But, yeah, imagine if I'd been like, let's do Hamlet, guys. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can do it when um, Macbeth comes out that would be nice yeah oh, that'd be, I was going to thought you were going to say when Belfast comes out because Branagh does have a film coming out in the new year oh, well, we'll figure it out everyone listening to this now is like oh, you guys have done this in your meeting but... <laughs> <laughs> of course anyone who's seen the promotional materials for Belfast will see that that is a black and white film with a child acting performance at the heart of it very shortly we'll be talking about Come On, Come On, another black and white film uh, with a child acting performance at the heart of it. So stay tuned for that. But first, Jack King, welcome to Truth and Movies. Um, this is always a very ex- existential question. It might seem a bit interrogative at, at this time of the morning. But Jack, who are you? <laughs> what do you do? Uh, it's a question I ask myself every day. Um, no, I am a film journalist. I write for um, outlets like Vulture and British GQ. Um, and yeah, I, I, as everybody else on the podcast, I love the movies. <laughs> <laughs> All the movies? Um, not most of the movies. I particularly love the movies we're talking about today. They're actually two of my favourites of the year. Um, not to spoil any of our coming, um, coming conversation. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I absolutely love both of them. I'm a big fan of Sorrentino and Mills. So oh, wow. yeah, love them both. So the, the dice roll has landed in your favour. That's fantastic. So I've, I've been incredibly lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose without any further ado, we should crack on with this week's new releases, starting with Mike Mills' Come On, Come On. A little bit of setup here for Come On, Come On. Johnny, Joaquin Phoenix, and his young nephew, played by Woody Norman, forge a tenuous but transformational relationship when they are unexpectedly thrown together in this delicate story about the connections between adults, children, the past, and the future from writer-director Mike Mills. So Hannah, you had the opportunity to speak with Mike Mills. Um, Do you want to tee up a clip from that interview? Or maybe also tell us who Mike Mills is and why we should be excited about who he is? I would hope listeners know who Mike Mills is. Um, yeah, no, Mike is a uh, American filmmaker, very much of the kind of independent scene. Um, he's been doing this for a long time now. His debut was in I think, 2007 or something, uh, Thumbsucker, and then he's made two other films, um, Beginners and 20th Century Women, both excellent. Uh, Thumbsucker's really good as well. And... Um, yeah, he's a really wonderful, very empathetic filmmaker, and I was really thrilled to get to talk to him. He's such a great interview, so open and warm and, and very funny as well. Um, so, yeah, we had quite this wide-ranging chat about um, everything, really. It was like therapy for me. But, yeah, it was it was really nice. He's, he's a great guy. So here he is. Let's have a listen to Hannah speaking to Mike Mills. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 20th century women and beginners are kind of very rooted in your own familial experiences and I'm very curious as to how much of come on come on is is also kind of based on your own life and your relationship um, with your family. yeah it definitely started with there it's it's a similar similar world so there's lots of scenes that really came out of things that happened between me and my kid and um, um, but it's a little different this time around because first time I'm dealing with someone who's alive and as a child, right? So I, I don't want to mess with them. And so I did find ways to create distance, like the uncle part of the story and, and that they don't really know each other. But within that structure, there's nuggets that are, that are very my kid. Um, and they're all through the film. But once you start writing, the weird spiritual craziness of writing starts taking place where you're not in control of what's happening and things are coming. You don't know exactly why and, and all that. And it's not, it's not just your kid anymore. It's like kind of going like that. And then you meet the actor and especially the way I work with actors, I really want, I need them to make it theirs, right? I need them. To, I need it to get under their skin, get in their psyche, get in their bloodstream. So I'm doing everything I can to kind of like give it to them and have them take over and have them, care right and have it feel alive so so like woody is not my kid at all right and um and there's something really beautiful about that exchange of like um woody bringing his soul and psyche and history and timing and humor and care right and and taking this like baton kind of like my version of my kid and then running with it And there was Hannah speaking with Mike Mills. Thanks to Mike for joining us on the podcast. Hannah, talking there about kids in relation to Come On, Come On, I've heard this Woody Norman guy is a, a talent to watch. I hear he's good, right? Yeah, he's fantastic. He's I'm very normally quite critical of child actors just because I think that they can really, really like make or break a film. You know, if they're good they're good if they're bad it just takes you out of it and you get quite distracted uh 
by how bad they are. But Woody is amazing in Come On, Come On. He's, he's, I, I said this to Mikey in the interview, but he has this sort of world weariness that um, gives him the kind of image of being like a 40-year-old trapped in the body of a, a nine-year-old. He has this wonderful line delivery. And if you listen to any interviews with Mike Mills or read any interviews with Mike around the film, he talks about how Woody was very like a, a very professional actor and very kind of like came to set and knew his lines and did his marks. And um, Joaquin was kind of much goofier and sillier. And um, there's a wonderful moment I think in one of the kind of panels they've been doing where Woody says to Joaquin, I've been carrying you this whole time. <laughs> and just, yeah, he's he's wonderful and British as well, which watching the film blew me away because he does a really, really great American accent. I had no idea until I heard him speak at London Film Festival. And I was like, what? What? Uh, but yeah, a good year for child performances. And he really is the heart of this film. For the whole thing to work, you need to believe the relationship between him and Joaquin because a lot of it is just the two of them hanging out and they completely sell it it's such a joy to kind of watch them interacting and watch the kind of conversations they have and yeah I was very taken with uh, Woody as an actor and Joaquin as well so off the back of something like Joker or You're Never Really Here Joaquin Phoenix has been exploring sort of the darker side of, of, of himself on screen in recent films this is a bit of a gear change how does that play out yeah well I'm a big Joaquin fan I think he is one of the finest actors maybe ever definitely of his generation so I was really happy to see him doing something different especially because I did not care for Joker as I think listeners will know from Pam Miller and I's podcast all that time ago but um yeah, so the whole reason he took the role is because it was such a gear shift after he did Joker, uh, which is why Mike Mills was able to convince him. And it works. It, it really, really works. There's this sort of tenderness and um, stuntedness to his character and the transformation. I mean, it's one of those, we're not teaching kids, they're teaching us kind of films. But um, yeah, there's a real softness and a gentleness of touch that he is so good at when he kind of deans to do that you know i'm thinking of like um his performance in her i think there's definitely some kind of um uh what would we say like intertextuality between the two and which makes sense because spike jones is really good friends with mike mills uh, but yeah it's really refreshing to see him in a film where you can root for him properly like heart and soul you can be behind uh, Johnny and want him to succeed in this kind of crazy world that he suddenly flung un- flung into and it is like a proper ensemble piece because you've got Woody and Joaquin but you've also got Gabby Hoffman who plays um, Johnny's sister Jessie's mother and um, she's amazing as well it, it's it's I think Mike Mills is so great at writing female characters which god love him male uh, filmmakers aren't always the best at that but he's got such a again like a gentleness of touch and gabby is a real kind of delight in the film you really you really believe the sibling relationship there and it's very um very poignant the way it kind of it's not only about jesse and johnny kind of growing closer but also these two kind of estranged siblings learning to um communicate with each other as adults and see each other as adults and I was just very 
it it feels quite rare to see a film that is so tender and so kind of emotionally open without it feeling uh, saccharine or emotionally manipulative and I think that Mike is kind of a master at that I don't think his films ever feel like they're trying to tug at your heartstrings just for um, effect I, I love Gabby Hoffman just to say as a quick sidebar and she's one of those um, you know there are there are there's the phenomenon of the that guy supporting actor she's one of you know one of the female examples of that um, but also has this long career she was a child actor in the way that whacking phoenix was so there's that interesting off behind camera thing here of a great child performance alongside two child actors turned powerhouse adult actors um, jack you kind of spoiled it for us here saying that you were a fan of this film in the intro uh, tell what did you what, what struck you about come on come on uh, what didn't strike me about Come On, Come On is probably the more apt and pertinent question. I mean, <clears throat> reason I reason I, I've I've enjoyed Mills's work so much is because I mean, as we as everybody here will be conscious of, I mean, cinema is meant to make you feel something, and I think he is just the epitome of this incredible empathy um, that he that that, that 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 cinema can capture at its very best. Um, and Mills in himself is such an empathetic person and come on come on is just the, the kind of like the apex or the confluence of all of these different empathetic strands where you know it's literally you have these uh, documentary moments where he goes to different kids in America in different cities I think it's New Orleans um, I think somewhere in California in New York uh, I haven't seen the film since the uh, London Film Festival unfortunately but um, but off the top of my head it's the three three big cities in America um, and talks to all of these kids and just gets so much candor and just so much just enriching uh, kind of like adolescent and youthful, not only about adolescent because it was younger, but like, you know, just like this, um, this, this child, childish honesty, um, where it's just kind of like, you know, we, we see the world through this film of adulthood, through this, you know, all the stresses and everything that we accumulate, always going to influence our subjectivities and the way we see everything. But these kids are just kind of like, yeah, the world, the world sucks, but it can get better. And it's like the world, the world is, you know, in a pretty awful place. But hey, we're all really, 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 we feel great about the future. Um, and I think for, for, for Mills to have so much trust in that perspective, and I think this, tra this, this goes into to Woody and Jesse too, um, it really, really works. And, and as Hannah said earlier, I'm usually a bit of a child actor, um, uh, agnostic <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct word or, the, or a skeptic more so um but my god Woody Norman in this film is just absolutely incredible just just absolutely incredible had a similar experience as well at London Film Festival he, he walked out on the stage and started waxing eloquent this wonderful English accent I was just like where the hell did this guy come from um, but no, just just absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and and uh, you've already spoken so much about Joaquin, so I won't um, tread over again. But it, it, it one of his best, one of his best performances. I'm I've, I've I love all of his movies. I think the through line to her is a really salient observation to make. Actually, he kind of has that a similar very similitude, but also you know just this 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 kind of like solemnness. I think to his to his to his character. Um, but but yeah no I think I think for it to to, to really to, to be this shot of empathy like a like an epipen of empathy 
um, but not to feel saccharine and not to feel indulgent, um, as Hannah already observed. Like I, I, I was so taken to it. And by the end, I mean, I, I walked up to a friend of mine after the screening, um, and he kind of just looked at me and he just, you know, did the whole kind of like, Are "You okay?" in his eyes, and I just started bawling. I didn't stop bawling for about ten minutes. Um, so, so yeah, I was, I was very affected. <laughs> it sounds like it. I cried too. Oh, <laughs> if goodness. you want a nice zesty cry this week, mm. go and watch Come On, Come On. <laughs> oh, I don't know if my, mine was zesty. Yeah, mine zesty. was quite aggressive. <laughs> my, Zest- mine, I wailed. <laughs> Zesty's a word I got from Mike Mills. <laughs> okay. I'm sure there's, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have the breakdown of the different types of cry that you can have in films. That's maybe something for another day. You said a zesty cry and I thought that's a wonderful phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put some scores on Come On, Come On then. Hannah, I'll come to you first. This is out of five in anticipation enjoyment and then in retrospect um i think my anticipation is probably a four because uh, and the only reason it was a four is because i hated joker so much (laughs) and i I was kind of like down on mckean because of that but really i should have known better because it's mike mills and uh my enjoyment and in retrospect i've seen the film twice now i'm probably going to go and see it again this weekend it's both fives for me Uh, confidently one of the best films of the year and definitely one that I look forward to sharing with my family and people I care about I think it's just such a um there's a thing that Mike says in the interview about all his films being um expressions or communications with people he loves and I think that's such a, a really a lovely way of describing his work and I consider sharing his films this a similar act of kind of of love so yeah Jack, your scores? Um, it's it's a funny one um, because I I had a conversation with uh, with some critic friends after seeing it, and I and I and it was just before I think I, I interviewed Mike myself, and I described myself as a bit of an agnostic to his previous films, um, in, including Twentieth Century Women, which I didn't really take to. But then I rewatched Beginners, and I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. So I I mean, it was like a three going in. Um, because you know I didn't have a huge amount of um, yeah huge amount of excitement um, but fives of otherwise I mean I think it is handily my favorite film of the year easily mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything to surpass it yet and I don't think I will well I can't wait to see this film uh, that sounds like a strong recommendations from both of you listeners if you do go and see come on come on this weekend let us know what you make of it at the usual channels at LWLies on Twitter or truth and movies at TCO London Up next, we're off to 1980s Naples with the Hand of God. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Movies. Here's another podcast you can escape into. Life Sentence, a mag's creative original, is an immersive audio journey and a powerful story of the climate crisis, with Jordan Stevens leading an incredible cast lending their voices to it. Time is ticking on this one, and you have to hear it to believe it. You inherited a world of magnificent design, a tapestry woven of fine, quiet fabric. She was designed to live forever. In the beginning, it was perfect. The Garden of Eden is no more. I've left you lot alone for a while, and it looks like things are getting a bit messy. I wanted to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. Life Sentence, 
Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. A bit of synopsis here. In 1980s Naples, young Fabietto pursues his love of football as family tragedy strikes, shaping his uncertain but promising future as a filmmaker in this semi-autobiographical drama, The Most Personal Yet, from director Paolo Sorrentino. So, Jack, this is a semi-autobiographical drama from Paolo Sorrentino, so I guess up front we should cover, you know, why should we care? Who is Paolo Sorrentino? What are his big hits? I guess the great beauty might be one major touchstone for most people, but what's your take on him as a filmmaker? Um, yeah, no, I'm, 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 a, I'm a big fan. Like, like you already said, I, I really, really liked um, like The Great Beauty. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I, I was a big fan. Um, when I was in Venice a couple of years ago, they, they showed um, The New Pope as well, or a couple of episodes from The New Pope, so people know from that series. He also did The Young Pope with Jude Law. Um, and uh, no, uh, uh, that was just really, really ravishing. He's just like, he's got this, like, such a, a, a fantastic and, like, stylish affect, I think, to his films, which is just so... Um, so well can be not 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 universally but can be so vibrant in like you know kind of like style but also with a with a with a lot of substance you know it's not just like this kind of like uh, superficial gaudiness or something um so yeah i particularly took to those um and i've and i've i've been a fan since um but i've got to say i think the hand of god is <laughs> one of my if if not my favorite of his i think it is again recency bias aside I think it is my my favorite at the moment because I'm conscious these things are always flowing and they're very very fluid um but no I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan I'm I'm I, I'm a complete um I I love coming of age movies for one um and I just there is something about a director who will so candidly tackle uh, an autobiographical moment or series of moments, especially one which is imbued with so much tragedy um, that I really, really respect. Um, and other than that, it is just a really sublime and formally interesting in a lot of ways uh, 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 coming of age. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm kind of trying to speak around a pivotal moment right. of the film that I, find, I found particularly striking. Um, and one was one of the moments in the cinema this year that really, really took my breath away and you know, like left my jaw wide open. Um, but no, it's he's just uh, it, or the film is just yeah, it's just it's it's really, really ravishing. I mean, there are all the comparisons that Filippo Scotti, the lead, is getting to Timothy Chalamet, and the film more broadly is kind of getting to Call Me by Your Name, not for the not for the queer aspect, but for, you know, for this being kind of like a sun-kissed Italian coming of Asia. Um, but I think it, um, but no, as much as the conventional comparison or like the, the, uh, the instinctual comparison might be to something like that, I think it really stands on its own two feet. As much as I can also appreciate um, where some have, uh, uh, you know, kind of like indicated some of its problems. Um, because it's, it's a sticky film in a lot of ways. I think it's representation of women um, and representation of women's bodies. Um, will polarise. Um, I kind of took it to be the rendering of a juvenile perspective rather than a directorial endorsement. But then I don't know if that's... Uh, again, I'm kind of speaking around something here. But I don't know if that's me liking the film so much that I'm overlooking 
what might be a more glaring issue, but I, I don't know. But I, but, but, but all in all, no, I, I, I was, uh, I was a big fan. I, I, I haven't seen the film, but there is certainly a subgenre of Italian like coming of age films, which isn't so much from the male gaze as from the horny teenage boy gaze. Is that what you're sort of <laughs> hinting at there, Jack? <laughs> oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it very much is rooted and uh, and stuck in that canon. Mm-hmm. Hannah, what did you make of the the Hand of God? Yeah, this is where Jack and I massively uh, part ways because I hated this film, um, which is quite a strong reaction to have to a Sorrentino film. I don't know. I think he is he is quite a um, divisive director. Not that he does anything particularly shocking. I think he just is very old school and he's very, he's a randy bastard, is Sorrentino. Uh, all of his work, you know, it's just like boobs, boobs, boobs. And... Um, like Jack says, I think maybe you can forgive it a little bit in the hand of God because it is about a is he, what, 16, 17 year old and they are horny by default. So, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, like very early on, there's this incredibly like lustful shot of a, a woman just like standing waiting for a bus. Uh, and it's I, I was like, oh, OK, it's going to be one of those films. I should have known better, really, because it's Sorrentino. But um yeah, I think that's my big issue with him. And um, you can't really get away from it in his work is that he is a lech. And he reminds me of that in, if any of our listeners have seen the film Spy, the Paul Feig film, Paul Feig film, um, <laughs> there's a character played by Peter Serafinowicz. He's like an Italian spy. And he just keeps saying to Melissa McCarthy, you have the most wonderful bosom. And that is what Sorrentino reminds me of. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, it got, it grew very tiring very quickly for me to see this man being so kind of like, self-satisfied with his horniness <laughs> and um, there's a bit early on as well that really like really angered me where we're introduced to this character he's a vocal uh, modulator because um he can't speak and i just think the film is incredibly cruel about people about women for a start but also about people with disabilities people who are fat it's just i, I don't like his sense of humor i don't find it funny um, I guess maybe it's a culture thing as well because he is a you know he is Italian and I think he's very kind of old school Italian very like Pasolini about his Italian uh, very very actually I think Fellini is what he's going for at all times but um, it doesn't doesn't kind of, for me it's it's kind of like a poor imitation um, but the other thing this film does it really angers me when they do it in coming of age films and there's another film that's coming out this year uh, George Clooney's The Tender Bar which does it as well, is where you have a coming-of-age film and there's a character, you know, that the protagonist has a dream and they just keep talking about the dream and they don't ever do anything to achieve the dream. And in The Tender Bar, it's writing and in The Hand of God, it's filmmaking. And Fabietta keeps saying, I want to be a filmmaker, I want to make the movies. But he never, like, does anything. He just, like, keeps saying it. Like, that's how you become a filmmaker. You don't have any... And this starts quite late in the film. Suddenly, you keep seeing him, like, kind of engage with... um, There's a a filmmaker shooting his film locally. And you see him kind of going to the set to, like, perv on this actress he likes. And... um, (laughs) that's the extent of like his filmmaking ambition and it just it just really annoys me when you have a storyteller who thinks you can just tell the audience that this um ambition is important to a character without actually ever showing them doing any work around it yeah that that's like it's something i i 
one of my like personal pet peeves in the film. I'm just like, well, do it then. Like, if you want to be a filmmaker, do it. Don't just keep telling everyone you want to be a filmmaker. <laughs> but I will say that the lead actor, whose name escapes me, um, young Italian Chalamet, is uh, is very good. He's he's definitely one to watch. But yeah, overall, I just I God, I really I, it was a it was a it was a slog for me. The old hand of God. <laughs> wow, it has been a long while since we've had such a polarizing. Um, film on truth mm. and movies but Jack let's put some scores on this and any final comments on the hand of God um, yeah sure um, so I, again I would say uh, a three going in Not I, I do really like Sorrentino but it, you know I think I think whenever somebody's bringing up that moment the hand of God moment it's just kind of like sends a chill down my spine I, don't, I never <laughs> want to think of Maradona ruining the World Cup for us in the 80s. Um, but, but I would I would I'd take a bit of five and a four um, because I have called in retrospect, in it, because of the very salient observations brought up by other brought up by other writers, and the more I think about it, the more I find it difficult to reconcile those elements um, without over overstating my own kind of proclivities. But um, but no, I, I I I do think it's really important to note like the central relationship, the familial relationship is at the court. We haven't really talked about really between Filippo Scotti's lead and then his parents, which is so, so important. That's the emotional through line of the film and is the thing that's so impactful. Again, I'm speaking around a very critical moment, which I, I think is the most one of the one of the most impactful um, scenes I've 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 experienced in, in the in the cinema this year. Um, but yeah, no, I I yeah, I I yeah, I I, I liked it a lot. <laughs> Hannah, I think your opinion differs slightly. Yeah, um, I, I do agree with Jack. This, I know what scene he's talking about, and I do think that is a really great scene. But for me, it's just it's not enough to kind of justify the rest of the film. And I think every time I thought that it was going, like to go and kind of pick up and maybe go somewhere, I was excited about it. Just he kept driving down that road to horny town. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's like a three-two-two for me. He just doesn't. Seventeen doesn't really do much for me. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, listeners, if you're Team Hannah or Team Jack on the Hand of God, let us know at the usual channels. Up next, we have Film Club. And since the BFI are giving a festive re-release to the shop around the corner, it's a great time to reassess a classic. If you've not seen it before, here is the synopsis for The Shop Around the Corner. In a large shop in Budapest, it's the busy run-up to Christmas. A couple of driven sales staff are in competition with each other, yet they're also, unwittingly, in an anonymous romantic relationship, which until now has been conducted purely by letter. James Stewart and Margaret Sullivan play the feuding shop clerks in this Christmas favourite from the legendary director Ernst Lubitsch. So yes, The Shop Around the Corner. Hannah, was this a first watch for you? Yes, it was. Yeah, I've heard about this film um, a lot from many different people who recommended it, but I just never kind of got around to it. And so I was excited to kind of fill in a blank spot, get a new Christmas movie to add to my roster. And what a charming film this is. Uh, I was so taken with it in a way I don't think I was really expecting to be. Um, the kind of like the big reveal, which, you know, very early on you kind of learn what's happening, but the big reveal at the end is it's so so moving but yeah i think it's a kind of very saliently captures the monstrous reality of working in retail at christmas which is just not fun on any level but yeah the kind of 
core relationship between uh, Margaret Sullivan and James Stewart is so charming to watch. They really are like, they fight like cat and dog, but you're like, oh, come on, you're going to get it together at the end. And uh, yeah, it was just very, very uh, pleased that I finally made time for it because I think it is, it is uh, not overtly kind of throwing Christmas in your face type film, um, which I appreciate as well because I think sometimes it can be a bit much when you've got you know santas and snow and carols all the time it's a very kind of you could watch it any time of year if you wanted to it's just a great romantic comedy about um that archetypal tale of the sort of time two enemies kind of falling for each other yeah this was i talk quite often on this podcast about rainy day films where i don't i know that one day i'll get to them i know that i'll enjoy them and I'll just save them for the first opportunity to. And the shop <laughs> around the corner was always one for me. I'm a big fan of James Stewart's work elsewhere, particularly with Hitchcock. I've seen other Lubitsch films, and he's talked so much about being a pivotal screenwriter by the, the more humanistic writers and filmmakers of the 70s and beyond. They always look back to him as having a sort of wisdom to human relationships within the comedy genre. And this one's held up as being a pivotal classic rom-com, and not to suddenly go all Eli Wallach in the holiday about this, but it does fix so many of the genre, you know, the, the genre tropes. You know, quite early on here, the meet cute, the the great lie, the 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 feuding, quarrelling lovers who unwittingly are really in love with each other, and then the final moment where they their their love is revealed, and it's all there, <laughs> but it's also much more complex and has much more going for it than just simply that. I love the fact that in, in a very of the period style, it's got quite a compact structure that really you're willing them by the end to reveal to each other their real identities. And it's only really in the closing seconds of the film, <laughs> you know, that the, the, the runtime is ticking away. And you're like, how are they going to resolve this? And they finally do. But also there are multiple other plot lines going on. It very much is about the shop around the corner and all of the assistants and the clerks and then the manager and the owner, all of, the, all of them have their own little story in, in, in the run up to Christmas. So it's quite a feast of a film as well as being a great rom-com that, of course, would go on to inspire You've Got Mail in the 1990s. Jack, what did you make of this? Oh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. I, I caught it for the first time um, last year, actually, because I had a bit of a James Stewart marathon. I caught up on lots of different films of his that I hadn't seen, so I saw this. I saw The Philadelphia Story for the first time. Um, I think I saw uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, um, and all these, all, these, all these wonderful films. Um, and he's, he's just... Um, just it's just terrific. Again, I mean, um, I think you've, you've nailed it so much insofar as why it works. It's this wonderful rom-com. Um, but, but also, just like, a, and I think this rings true for, for so many films of, of that era. Um, you know, just like the, 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 uh, the dialogue has this like snappy and lyrical cadence to it, which just is so engrossing and is just so enjoyable just to like listen to. Um, and and yeah no I'm 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 a 
I, I I really do I really do like it. It was funny as well because when I when I saw it yeah, when I saw it last year, I was kind of like oh my god nobody told me I tweeted and I was like oh yeah, nobody told me that James Stewart had done a Christmas film completely blanking on the existence of the other major James Stewart Christmas film, um, which I I have also seen since and also enjoyed. Uh, but I would go so far as to say that the shop around the corner actually supersedes it in a way. I think it's it's a bit more. Um, contained, like you said, and uh, and just has this like real warmth and Christmasy, you know, hot chocolatey gooiness to it. I just, yeah, I I I really am a big fan. Yeah, I love how you point out the the screenplay and the the, the witty, almost screwball dialogue that they have, because it does contrast how the, the both characters do have these two. You know, languages that they're speaking which is the language on the page is one where they're quoting from French literature and romance and poetry but then in real life mm. they're just sniping at each other with these wonderful witty put downs and comebacks and, it, and having yeah. those two conversations running in parallel throughout the film is really, really such a treat I love James Stewart but also Margaret Sullivan is so great in this not a, an actress I know particularly well outside of this film now um, but a real discovery for me but listeners the Shop Around the Corner is getting a re-release from the British Film Institute this week, so do track it down if you want to kick off your festive season in style. We'll also be back in the next couple of episodes with more festive favourites from the team to recommend to you. But that's it for this week. Jack, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a treat talking through those films with you. Listeners, let us know what you make of the films that we've been talking about this week at the usual channels, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweeters at lwlies. Next week, Steven Spielberg is remaking a classic musical, West Side Story. We also have the new Adam McKay film, Don't Look Up. And we have a double header of film clubs next week, as our guests have both recommended a Christmas movie. We have The Polar Express and the horror movie, Jack Frost. Listeners, please subscribe wherever you pod. If your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews as well, we'd love you to leave one for us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. It's hosted by me, Michael Leader, produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel, and edited by Steph Watts and James Payne. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.